Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Lar Redmond. Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Lar Redmond. And today we're having an adult conversation. So make sure you put on your earphones if you have little ears hanging around. I'm excited to talk about sex today with Zoe Kors for many reasons. It's a very timely topic, and I'm also really aware of my own blocks sexually, uh, which I'm wanting to unblock. So lots to talk to her about, and I want to introduce her because she's such an impressive woman, writer, speaker, coach, Sexologist Zoe Kors is the founder of The Big Libido, Find Your Feminine Fire. She is also the founder of Badass Bootcamp and PussyProject.org. She is the former senior editor and creative director of LA Yoga Magazine and Origin Magazine. Zoe is a frequent contributor to Elephant Journal, MindBodyGreen, and Aloha.com. Her article, Six Ways to Have Radically Intimate Sex, is currently at 2 million views, which is actually lower than it really is. I just checked, but we'll get to that in a minute. Zoe's work reflects her extensive study of Tantra, Zen Buddhism, meditation, yoga, breathwork, and Eastern disciplines, which she blends with process-oriented modalities of Western psychotherapy and co-active coaching. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am really happy you're here. And before we get into the juicy stuff, I wanted to explore our little Instagram time this week about the costume issue because I posted on Halloween that picture of beautiful Patti Smith and went on to uh, get out my real feelings about how much I hate costumes and you wrote a little note about agreeing with me. So I just wanted to ask you about your opinion about costumes. Yes. um, I am, I I am all about sort of full expression and I love to sort of dress up um, in various ways, but all as an expression of myself. I just am not a fan of Halloween, and I loved what you said about the journey to really find yourself and discover yourself, um, and and wanting to you know, like celebrate that and not mask that. That really spoke to me a little bit about why I might not love costumes so much. So yeah, it's, you know, I grew up in New Orleans, and so I had to live through Mardi Gras and a very um, theatrical city, which is wonderful, but. I always, even as a little person, felt so um, 
upset about putting something on that wasn't reflective of who I was. And this was as a little person. So as I've grown up and gotten into my midlife, I feel really dedicated to understanding who I am. And then the costume part just reminds me again of what I'm not. (laughs) So I'm not a good sport. My biggest nightmare is when someone says, would you come to an auction? The theme this year is, and I'm like, uh, no, and I don't want to dress up. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. I identify. So knowing who I am and studying that as my life continues onward, I am really aware of my own issues around sex and intimacy. And I was blown away by your article, Six Ways to Have Radically Intimate Sex. And when I looked it up this morning, I just want you to know that currently, well, do you know the number right now? No, I don't. I don't. I stopped looking. It's so impressive how many people have been affected by the article. It is at 2,210,919 views. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thanks. Why do you Mm. think that article hit such a deep nerve for all of us? Um, Because I think that there is a a really big disconnect um, between the way that we um, portray sex, the way that we experience sex in this culture, and the way um, we're sort of built to experience sex. So I think what happens is people are longing for a much deeper level of intimacy and a much um, more uh, sort of spiritual aspect of sexuality that we're really missing, that we're not really given a context for in, in you know, sort of mainstream media and um, our regular lives in America anyway. How do you simplistically define the difference between sex and intimacy? I, I want to dive deeper into your article, but first, just for listeners, like quick, quick answer as to what the difference is. Well, it's a tricky question, um, or, or the answer is tricky. It's a great question. Um, there are several different kinds of intimacy, and um, both um, you know, physical and non-physical, and even in that realm, um, there's the intimacy of like when you're married and you live life together and you see each other through sickness and health and celebration and um, crisis There's that sort of intimacy. Um, There's intimacy in um, like physical intimacy as well. There's energetic intimacy. There are many different ways to be intimate with someone. Um, And often um, what we what we um, experience in terms of sexuality is a, a different kind of intimacy or a different kind of intimacy is possible when we're having sex that doesn't involve the, the day-to-day life, um, the nitty-gritty, the intimacy that happens sort of outside of the bedroom. Um, so, you know, it's, there, there's, it's such a big answer to try to define what intimacy is. Um, but what I can say is that sexuality and sex are, are two different things. And I think that one of the things that I really try 
to communicate and to teach. And the message for me that's really powerful is that we think of sex as something that we do when actually it's much more about a way of being. Hmm. Can you elaborate on that? I love that. Yeah. Well, um, so... So I love the the sort of message of your show that we're all born naked, right? So we're all born with a certain innate sexuality. Um, and and not to get too terribly woo-woo um, this early in the show anyway, but, um, you know, we're, we are born with, a, with an innate sexuality. Like if you take away, you strip away all of these sort of media messaging, advertising um you know, messages that we've received, all that conditioning, um, religion, all, you know, family um, morals and all of those sort of oppressive um, constrictions that we have on the way that we experience our sex drive. Um, And we peel that all away and we get really right back to the moment we were born moving forward through our development there would be a relationship with what is sort of in, in Sanskrit, in the yoga Eastern world, we call it Shakti. It's the universal creative life force. And it, it, we experience it in many ways. Like if you uh, create a beautiful painting or write a book or have, have a, um, you know, do something that is typically framed as creativity you feel that rush of energy, that connectedness with the universe. Um, we also experience that as sex or sex drive or, or sexual energy when we're really turned on and lit up and alive. So that feeling, that drive, that energy has been framed in our culture as wrong or dirty or something we don't talk about when actually it's it's the life force that allows, first of all, us as women to um, sustain the human race. I mean, we, we spark life with that life, with that sex drive, that, that energy. That um, uni, is it uni? The word uni is that sort of juicy nectar sex drive. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, so that is sort of like it, when, when I say that sex isn't just something that we do, sure, we have sex, we, it's, a, it's an act, you know, we have intercourse with another human being, that is something that we do, but sex, in terms of our sexuality, our sexual identity is so much bigger than yeah. just the simple act of sex. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's huge. And and then my brain immediately goes to those moments that we first experience sharing our bodies with someone else's body. And is that a positive experience? Is that a negative experience? So that the first sexual experience that we all have is very powerful in our psyche. I mean, I've heard many clients who speak about I mean, the the horrificness of being abused and then having this kind of very split relationship with sex and then others who have said, I had such a non-eventful first experience. And so whatever may be that beginning is important 
And so we don't really teach young people how to value intimacy with sexuality and sex. That's right. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say, at least by my research, um, I mean, most men, almost all men um, in this society have learned about women's sexuality from pornography. And that's a very, very narrow range of sexual expression. It does not represent um, what most, how most women experience their sexuality. So, I wish you would. Mis- I wish you would create a curriculum that you could put in the schools mm-hmm. to have the yeah. the conversation to start the language of all of this because we're animals we're these beings that as you put it you know that feeling is so electric and alive we all want to feel it so now I want to go into the article a little bit that you wrote about the whole idea of sharing radical intimate sex and it really excited me because I think it's the way that I could learn to be more relaxed and open and brave, because I have fear around some of these steps. But I wanted to talk about them, because I think it's a great guideline for men, speaking of pornography, this would be the opposite roadmap that many a male, I think, would benefit for knowing what a woman might be more responsive to than they may realize. Um, Because some of these steps felt very female forward for me stuff that we've talked about amongst ourselves as women a lot but I don't always think this language is as prevalent in the male dialogue and that's heterosexually speaking and then there's you know the beautiful um, homosexual language but all of this is universal to these steps whether you're with men with women with both Um, so the first step is no talking Mm-hmm. Yes. Does Take, that scare you? Well, uh, I, I mean, a lot of this feels <laughs> just so far away from where I am. So yeah. l- guide me through that as if I'm one of your clients. Take me through that first step. Yeah. Okay. Um, and before before I do that, I just want to mention that um, I get a lot of pushback on people who have read this article and feel like I'm talking about doing these steps forever. Like this is only how sex will look. And that that's not the intention of the article at all. No. Um, it's these six, um, simply like six ways to explore cultivating more intimacy in mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, um, yes. So, so this goes back to a little bit of what I was saying, where couples who have been together for a while will tend to take their relationship into the bedroom with them. And, um, you know, there's Esther Perel. I don't know. She's a, she's a wonderful um, author and a couples therapist um, in New York. She wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. And she really astutely points out that the things that make that we look for in our partner that make a great partnership and relationship long term are also desire killers. Mm. So, um, stability, predictability um, are all 
not at all what we look for in um, in sort of hot sex. Desire is built on spontaneity and a bit of mystery, right? So um, the no talking suggestion is to actually start to work with um, couples to to shut off that the logistical part of their relationship um, and as individuals to sort of step away from their busy day from anything that they need to talk about and process to leave that outside the bedroom door and to come and meet each other in a clean way. So, um, you know, I'll often have couples come home in the evening, uh, you know, by design and just make an agreement. We're not going to talk to each other throughout the evening. And then so that when they get to the bedroom, they can show up clean and Mm -hmm. present to each other sort of energetically as two human beings, two souls, um, you know, rather than, rather than start bringing in like, did you leave your dirty socks on the side of the bed again? Did you pay the phone bill? Or honey, can can you please pick up the kid tomorrow at two? I can't, I've got to go to a meeting, you know, anything in that world of, listing and logistics and making a family operate like a well-oiled machine. Yes, exactly. I mean, marriage is very much about, um, especially when there are kids involved, um, is very much like sort of a, a, you know, a business relationship. Mm -hmm. It's very transactional and logistical and strategic and that's not where you want to be when you're making love. (laughs) No. Yeah. uh, and we're yeah. not taught that, you know, when we get <laughs> married, when we're thinking about getting married, nobody talks about making space for sexuality in this way. You know, it's just that sex is something we don't talk about. So then we sort of have to navigate this um, in the dark privately with without a whole lot of um, reference and support. Well, and what I love about that step for the fun factor is that there's prep before you get to the bedroom, which is, sounds like relaxing, pleasure, maybe some music, some sexy food, you know, you're kind of getting in the mood for, without a lot of dialogue or logistics, there's a nice feeling around the prep that you could really make a whole beautiful, retreatful evening out of or weekend or whatever time there is to escape into this beautiful place and then to arrive into your embodiment with this other person. Right, exactly. Almost a, creating a ritual around it. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the reason for ritual really is so that we um, create a space where we can step out of um, our normal daily lives and into a sort of sacred space to mm-hmm. be together, to to create a new kind of energy and a new kind of connection and a new kind of intimacy. Yeah. So step two, no orgasm. That that one for me is hard because honestly, I don't think I've really ever had sex when it didn't end in orgasm. That seems so much like the goal, the, the reason you're doing it. Um, so tell me about why the goal is no orgasm. Um, the goal uh, is no orgasm because we normally think of orgasm as the goal. That's exactly why. And in the process of, 
you know, um, trying to reach that goal, we miss a ton of opportunity for intimacy along the way. Um, intimacy and, and extreme pleasure. Um, so by, by um, taking that off the table to begin with, we eliminate all of that um, sort of inner dialogue and, and nego- negotiating together. Um, you know, it, did I make her come yet? Am I, you know, I, I need to, how do I need to change what I'm doing in order to make her come? Um, he's taking a long time. Is he still excited by me? He's losing. Like it just, there's so much focus on the outcome that, um, all of that pleasure, all of that going slow, all of the touching, all of the sensuality along the way can be lost. Um, we, 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 are, we become like not present to what's going on in the moment because we're focusing on the goal. So, you know, Emerson said, the journey is the destination. And that, that is what this step is about. So then when you're sort of at the end of that time period together do you go to bed with a headache or do you get into I mean where do you take some of that exciting energy that is the build-up to that orgasm how do you then it, it you know how does that then show up in the end of the time that is the intimacy within the bedroom that is sexual yeah that's an excellent question so um so one of the things um that happens when you take orgasm off the table and you're not having an orgasm is that you are actually increasing your body's capacity to hold a charge this the energy the sexual energy the shakti so you are what ends up happening often um when this is practiced and really practiced mindfully with intention um is that you experience so much pleasure in your body that you end up in a new kind of extended orgasmic state. Mm-hmm. And that is very much sort of in the, in the realm of Tantra, in Tantric sex. You, you, an orgasm, there's so many different kinds of orgasms and orgasmic experiences that um, you can spend literally an hour or two circling around the orgasm and allowing all of this energy to like, I mean, the follicles of your hair can turn out to be somewhat orgasmic and um, your fingernails or this Mm -hmm. spot on your shoulder right over here so that you're really feeling it's not linear anymore. There isn't sort of a linear arc to like, um, you know, the first stages of arousal until you're Uh, you know, all the way through until you're reaching that orgasm. It becomes a much different kind of spongy energy that you're playing with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, look, I'm not against orgasm, certainly. And I think it's very important for many women who have trouble reaching orgasm and are really focusing so much of their own exploration and self-development on being able to reach orgasm. I think all of that, of course, is important and healthy, but I also um, believe that there's so much opportunity in just swimming around in this um, arousal, desire, um, sexual energy that we miss that it's great 
to explore that and play with it. If it ends up in orgasm anyway, which it often does, fine. But taking it off the table relieves us of the pressure of having to get there. So you and your partner are verbal about the fact that, hey, let's just take climaxing off the table and let's go have some fun. You identify that. And then when you're playing and having fun, if it leads to orgasm, it's okay. It's not like a fixed rule. It's just the goal is to not make that the mindset. Exactly. Let's, okay. let's play with this energy as long as we can. And that leads me to step three, which is to slow down. Mm-hmm. That's and right. I, you know, honestly, that's hard. I mean, I think it's difficult depending upon the gender, but I would love some tools to make that the goal and the focus with the timing and the rhythm of the togetherness. So how do you explain that to couples, the slowing down? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that there is so much of a instruction here, except to like pretend that you're moving at like a 10th of the speed that you normally do. So take a really long time. Like if your lovemaking sessions normally last about 20 to 30 minutes, which is typical, um, you know, take that 20 minutes and double it. So anything that you would be doing, do it twice as long. Oh, that's good. So you just do it longer than you're used to and make it clear to yourself before you begin that you are going to extend the time that you normally would do it. Right. Okay. And and I think that part of what's hard about that is is that feeling, I mean, there are a couple things. One is that, you know, depending on who your partner is, if it's somebody that you don't know very well, then it's, you know, I think that we often rush through sex to avoid intimacy, to avoid the awkwardness and to, um, and I, and I think that we're also just sort of, um, we're, we're trained to like get in there quickly and ravish each other, which is lovely sometimes, but Intimacy is really in those moments of like, you know, hanging on the edge of, of desire and ecstasy and being in that space together. So, you know, the slowing down is something that can really cultivate that. And so with that in mind, drawing out, teasing out that, that sort of desire from each other is, um, you know, that takes, that slows everything down. Just really like being present to how much can I make this woman want me or this man want me and crave me and, you know, how excited can I make her before I actually like make her have an orgasm. So as you're saying this, I'm noting that I'm feeling contracted because what's coming up for me is trust. Like, I love the intimacy of conversations, obviously, with this show. Um, I love the intimacy of cooking or, but when it comes to the intimacy of sex, I'm scared. Like, I think there's trust for me coming up. So slowing down and really focusing on your partner is an exercise in trust. So how do you speak about trust in all of this? Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're 
what what your um, hitch is there. Like, what is it? What's the fear? So if you're afraid to trust, what are you not trusting? What's your fear? Being that naked with someone, the irony, yeah. you know, I just, just being in that position to let someone in like that, it feels like it's too much. It's too deep. It's too scary. It it could be just, it adds the, I don't know, it adds up the potential for pain to me because of maybe my past losses and my own failed relationships prior to now, but it feels just too dangerous and risky. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, this is another thing that we're, I'm going to say a couple of things here and I don't know whether any of it will ring true for you, but here's my, my first stab at this. Um, we are trained to believe that women, especially all of us, but women especially, um, need to feel emotional attachment, engagement, and even attachment to the person that they're having sex with. Um, and while that's lovely, and there's plenty of room for that, and and sex can reach new heights and, and deep depths with someone that we're really emotionally involved with and feel safe with, um, this the I think it's not accurate that we... Um, that we need to be so emotionally engaged. Um, and if we are really present with, with somebody, it can be, uh, I've had, I mean, me personally, I've had some of the most intimate and powerful earth shattering, um, you know, sex with men I didn't even know at all. Mm. Um, so, so there's that, there's a little bit of what happens sort of in your, in your mind, like a reframe of sexuality, right? And, and here's the thing. So what I, what I sense in people across the board um, is that what we're really afraid of is the, <laughs> the sort of, um, magnitude of the ecstasy and that is very much about like you know the sort of spiritual divine aspect of of sex and orgasm because what's happening is um, we are entering into this realm where we sort of lose ourselves we're becoming one with the divine and um you know, that's why they call, you know, the French say orgasm, call orgasm le petit mort, the, the little death, because we're losing control. And it's actually not a lack of trust in the partner, but a lack of, of trust in what happens when I dissolve into like, you know, a cloud of sparkly dust and merge with the universe for this moment here. Yes, yes. So it's, it's it, yes, it's safety too. It's this thing of... Exactly as you're describing, do I really want to let go of control at that level? It feels risky, but that's so worth exploring. Yeah, and because we don't really, I mean, we don't talk about orgasm this way. We don't talk about, you know, when I say like, 
you know, your vagina is the greatest gateway to God, you know, people, you know, they look at me like I've got three heads, particularly if I'm in the East Coast, you know, in, in L.A., people can kind of grasp that a little bit. I just, they just roll their eyes at me. But um, <laughs> but that's the truth. I mean, that's the truth of sexuality. And that's, a you know, that's not me, Zoe. That's like, you know, that's Tantra. That's, um, you know, sacred sexuality is all about the fact that we just, when we make love, it's the universe making love to itself through us. And we are actually merging back with the divine in those moments of, of ecstatic bliss and it's the universe's creative energy coming through us that makes us feel so alive and aroused um, and ecstatic. Um, So, you know, it's like, I think we put a lot of that on our partner when we just sort of frame sexuality as this thing that humans do and we look to our partner Um, as someone we don't feel safe with when actually it's that we're not feeling safe within ourselves. And that's why I have women um, practice, have a um, what's called a sadhana or a self-pleasuring practice in which we play with that energy, we get acquainted with that energy and we learn what it feels like to run that energy through our bodies so that we we then can turn to our partners and, and just have them make us feel safe by anchoring us and holding that space for us while we travel in these realms of ecstasy. Does that make sense? Yes. My question is, can you travel in that exercise by yourself or does it require another? Is the point to work with partner in that experience or is that something you guide someone to do on their own just to keep the channel open within that person? entirely on their own every woman in my opinion every woman needs to know herself inside and out so to speak and to be able to um, master sexual energy in her body and what that looks like and feels like and it's different for everybody you know Um, everybody has a unique experience of this sexual energy and it's our birthright and it's what we come in with when we're born naked And we get away from that, we become disconnected from that and alienated from that. And that is the seat of our power as women. We, you cannot be a powerful woman and be afraid of your pussy. And so that would be the sort of work you would do in your coaching sexology work with people one-on-one. That's right. Okay. And then so a group would be, every person would be different. So when someone's trying to understand this part of their individual power and beauty and excitement, it is a unique formula for each person. Yeah, I mean, yes, there are universalities so that we can have a group of women that are um, doing this work and then we come together and we talk about our experiences and what that felt like and how that feels as we move through the world, taking that energy with us. And how that sort of shifts all of it, the, the, the comp level of confidence, the comfort we feel in our body, the compassion that we have when we look in the mirror naked, um, the way we show up in relationship, the way we feel at work, um, you know, it affects all of it. So there's room for us to come together and talk about our experiences. But ultimately, 
Um, you know, I'm not one of these people who, who says, you know, you need to be hypersexualized or you need to be, um, you know, sex always needs to be sacred. There's for some women, you know, it's, um, their, their authentic sexual expression is, you know, falls more in sort of the BDSM world or, um, for some it's, you know, some women, they wake, they sort of wake up and get connected and they want to have sex all the time for some women, their sexuality looks different. It's more subtle, you know, so. What does BDS yeah. mean? BDSM, bondage, uh, discipline, sadomasochism. So what would be something that you do see often universally with women? Um, I, I see universally with women, um, a, um, I think that most women that I see have no idea how um, sort of electrified and lit up they can be. I think m- most women that I deal with really don't have a, a deep understanding of their own um, anatomy, really, their own vagina and how it works and what's possible. And so what would you take that woman through if you were working with her individually? How would you help her understand it? That's a, it's a very good question. And, um, I, I have a process, um, that I follow that starts with our history and the conditioning and what has contributed to help, shape our current relationship or her current relationship with her sexuality and her body, um, which can be, you know, a huge range of things she heard as a child, her first sexual experiences, what she raised in a religious um, environment, you know, how was affection treated in her home uh, growing up, like huge range, right? And then, so really getting in there and understanding it and deconstructing that and, um, and, and just really, uh, um, pointing out and having her understand what messages she has internalized and carried as truths all these years that actually don't belong to her that mm-hmm. have been imposed on her. So, um, and then the next step is to reframe and build it, uh, like a safe container, sort of reframe sexuality um, and take the, the sort of shame and guilt and stigma off of that to be able to create a, a container to do this work that's safe um, and entirely personal. And that involves sometimes, depending on her living situation, it involves, you know, like making agreements and arrangements with the people in her life to create the space where she can have privacy and her privacy is respected. Um, you know, all of this work is done with no sexual touch with anybody other than herself so that she's not confusing any of the messages and the feelings and the experiences. Um, and then and then there is a very specific self-pleasuring practice where we start in stages, and that involves um, a jar of coconut oil <laughs> and a, and uh, and her hand and her hands. And uh, and uh, eventually a dildo and um, and no orgasm for a period of at least a month. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we, we follow this path. So we go, we start at the head and the mind and the brain and we sort of uh, clear it out and, and disassemble. Work your way us. down. Yeah, and then we, you know, and then we, and then we get into the physical once the mind can be cleared and, and disabled, then we get into the physical and rewire the body. Mm, love that. And then we re-engage. And in the back end of it, there's a lot of work about moving forward and, and now engaging and speaking with your partner now that you've got a much better knowledge of who you are and how you feel and what you like and what moves you. And then you have to actually go back for people who are in a relationship go back and then learn how to communicate that with your partner. And then the other piece of it too is also sort of um, forming a new um, erotic intelligence and sexual identity. So re-engaging the brain and the mind afterwards in a much healthier, more authentic way. That's so great. Zoe, what do you Mm. find universally true for men? Well, I specialize in women's sexuality, so um, I, I made a conscious decision to stop working with men. Mm. Um, so that it's not my area of expertise. Although I do want to say that um, I really I feel for men in this culture, and I think yeah. that men, you know, we we hear a lot. It's really current right now with Harvey Weinstein and. Um, and the hashtag me too campaign and, you know, even Bill Cosby and, and our, you know, president and there's, it's so relevant right now, all of the abuse and harassment that and violation that women feel, but men are really, um, they really have a challenge. I, I think that they suffer just as much from the culture that we live in and, you know, this idea that um, sex looks the way it does. And I think a lot of men feel a lot of shame around their sex drive and don't know how to express in a way that honors women. I think they're really puzzled. And I think that it's really up to women to figure ourselves out and then to educate our men, because I think there are so many men who actually really want to show up in a way that works for women that's powerful and enables women to be powerful. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I think you bring up a great point there, which is telling your partner what you like, explaining where that beautiful sensation exists on your body, whether it is your hair follicles or your nails or that part of your shoulder, but being a voice of direction. So how do you explain a really good way to do that, especially if you aren't happy with the way you're being touched? That, that there's two parts to the question. So how do you communicate well what it is you like and how do you communicate well what you don't like? Yeah, um, you know, it's that's a hard conversation no matter what. It's just because of the ego. The ego gets so bruised. Exactly. And I think that the first thing that has to happen is an acknowledgement of what's going on in the relationship. So if it's a situation where you haven't been honest, where many women just don't feel, um, you know, that they will, you know, fake orgasms or uh, pretend they're liking it more than they do, or just for some 
for some women, it's been a period of years. So it that in that situation, it's heartbreaking for a man to hear that they, you know, they they often will feel like they've been deceived, um, and and so it can be a very complicated situation. And I don't mean to sort of make light of it. I'm not saying this to be flip. But the fact is, you absolutely, the only way through that is to acknowledge what is, what is going on. And it can be gentle and kind. You know, I, I, you know, I would love to explore some new things. I would love to. That's why that article, I think, is so popular that I wrote, Six Ways to Have Radically Intimate Sex. Because it gives very specific ways to explore intimacy and to just change things up and open up the space that maybe there can be some dialogue so that you can say, look, let's try this. And then after a night of like no orgasm or slowing down, you can say, oh, you know what came up for me in all of this is I love so much when you did this. And what if we did this? And I would love it if you did this, you know? Yeah, we only went through three of these steps, but anyone listening who's curious about the others, there are three more other than the ones we talked about. So, yeah, we're going to raise that 2300000 to probably $3 million by the end of this. Um, Zoe, I wanted to ask you, with the time we have left, Dorothy Parker once was quoted as saying that heterosexuality is not normal, it's just common. What is your thought about that? Um, I, 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 you know, I think the, I think the word normal, um, I think it's all normal. I think, you know, normality is, is that we have a range of, of sexual expression and sexual preference. Um, I believe very much in the Kinsey scale. Um, I, I, I think there's a range of that as someone who is so, um, I mean, I am just like head over heels for women and I do so much work around this and I am not, um, you know, I fall very much on the heterosexual end of that scale. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's all normal. It's all natural. And I don't think that there's any one way of being. I also think that there's a huge range of, um, you know, gender identification and expression. And I think all of that is normal and healthy. Um, and, and I speak so much in, in the realm of sort of to, to heterosexual couples. Um, the bulk of my work is with heterosexual women. Um, but there are certainly plenty of homosexual women and trans women that I do work with that attend workshops and that I speak to and interact with and coach to some extent. And I think it's so much about, um, you know, the expression of feminine and masculine energy within ourselves and in relation to others, not specific to body parts. Yeah. And really either gender can embody either gender. Absolutely. But I think bisexual, which you didn't mention in the list, is an interesting identity because I do hear more and more the term bisexual in 
both women that are in my age group and the younger women that are in high school uh, often are identifying, at least often in my practice and in what I hear culturally being talked about. I think there is a different threshold and understanding about bisexuality than we've heard or seen in a long time, at least out loud. And I wondered if yeah. you heard about that in the work you do with largely heterosexual women, um, if if that comes through your radar with those that might have that identity, or as you put it on that part of the scale. But there's always flexibility that we don't want to be afraid of. I think that's what I'm I'm feeling is hopeful for all people. Absolutely. Bisexuality and pansexuality, too, which means, you know, there are a lot of people who want to recognize that we that we don't live in a binary world. So you don't have to be either one or the other, that there's a range of expression. So across the board, they're attracted to, you know, a person regardless of any piece of that expression or anatomy. So. Um, yes, actually, there is a lot of flexibility. And, and while I say that um, that I, I work mostly, what turns up for me are women who are living a heterosexual um, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. but, but many of them are um, express themselves as bisexuals and are attracted to other women. And some of them have relationship or... Um, or sex with women. Um, so yeah, I think I, I believe that there is a great raising of consciousness around all of that, around free and fluid sexual expression and gender that is incredibly healthy for our society and for individuals. Well, and I'm going to be on TV tomorrow speaking about the Me Too campaign, and you mentioned that. And I think the the upside, even though the horror is what it ultimately began as, is that there is dialogue. There is there is real discussion about, you know, safety, boundaries, exploring, pleasure. You know, what what are these boundaries? What do we need to uphold within ourselves to be a respectful person in the sexual realm. And I think that dialogue is imperative. Yes, I agree. That's an excellent, excellent point. So what is your passionate excitement right now in the work that you do? What, what would you say is really motivating you right now and exciting you and is giving you a lot of directive in your own impressive career? Mm, thank you. Um, yeah, I am, I am super excited about two things going on right now. One is that I'm, um, I'm in the middle of writing a book, which is kind of addresses the the method by which I think that we can, women can get more connected, the, the, the process that I sort of just spoke about with you. And I'm, um, I find that I get asked so much about like, what do you have that I can read? How do I take myself through this? Um, so I'm excited about reading, about writing that rather. Um, and, and I'm, I'm super excited. I'm starting to, in Los Angeles on Thursday nights at Mandala Center, I'm starting to have a women's circle that meets every week called Real, Raw, and Holy. 
And um, I love to gather with women in groups. I find it really um, powerful. And to meet in a sort of a workshop setting, um, I'm super excited about um, that sort of level of sisterhood and support and presence when women really show up for each other in that way. And I think that just to your point, um, getting together and learning how to really listen to each other and hold space for each other, um, for, for each woman's sort of authentic expression without judgment um, and with celebration for, for honest expression, I think is really important right now. And that is exactly what you're speaking to when, when you talk about the, the Me Too campaign and, um, and creating a space where we can speak out and acknowledge what, what is going on for each of us. Mm, It's so hopeful. And I think it is really, in my opinion, where social media shines because the dialogue is out loud now and you can't silence it. And so one of the things I'm speaking about is that, you know, silence is death and there's no silence anymore, which I just find so hopeful. Yeah. Yes. Zoe, tell everybody. Tell everybody how to find you if they're not in Los Angeles. And I certainly wish I lived there to go to these groups. I would love to be part of that. And I can't wait to read your book. Um, so uh, give everybody the best way to find you. I, I know you work with people as I do on Skype. Um, doesn't matter where you live. So let everyone know what their options are. I love your YouTube channel too. I don't want you to leave that out because your YouTube channel w- was very inspiring to me. It's when I knew I wanted to get you on the show. So tell everybody how to work with you, find you, and learn more about what you're here to teach. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you can go to zoecores.com and that will basically take you everywhere. Um, I coach um, one-on-one. Usually it's a three, six or nine month process. Um, and then I also have something that I'm launching brand new called your personal pussy plan, which is, um, you know, if, if you, if three months is too much of a chunk to bite off right away, um, we can spend an hour and a half on the phone together and sort of outline a way for you to, um, you know, take it on your, take this work on for yourself over a period of a few months. So there's a very, you walk away from that 90 minutes with an outline um, of tools and practices and even a personalized mantra to kind of walk down this road of getting more intimate and empowered um, with your sexuality. Um, and I have an online program and you can access all of that. There's also a blog on my website where you can read a lot of stuff that I talk about. Um, the YouTube channel is, everything is basically Zoe Kors, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and the website zoecores.com. And spell it, please, for the listeners. Okay, it is Z-O-E-K-O-R-S. And I love your daily uh, mailers. I signed up for those a while ago, and they're interesting, very much based around the whole notion of this show, which is empowerment, personal empowerment, embodiment, and the truth that you complete you. So thank you, Zoe Kors. I appreciate your expertise, your passion, and your clarity. Thank you so much, Laura. It was a pleasure to be here with you today. Have a beautiful day. 
Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. We'll be right back.